He travels the world and scans the web to keep you up to date on the latest threats to the internet and to your cybersecurity. He brings you the latest on the fight against cyber terrorism, keeping you safe with the best cybersecurity information on the radio. It's Cybersecurity Today with John Bambinick. Good morning. You've tuned into Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambinek, broadcasting out of AM820 News covering Tampa Bay and the West Coast, as well as AM1060 News covering the Space Coast and Orlando. And of course, there's a podcast version of our show. Whatever podcasting software you use, just look for Cybersecurity Today Radio and you should find us uh, right quick. Feel free to connect with us on our website, cybersecuritytodayradio.com, on Facebook and Twitter, at CyberSecRadio, my personal Twitter account, at Bambenek, B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, uh, and by email, Radio at gmail.com, J-O-H-N-B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, radio at gmail.com. We do take your questions and feedback for our social media segment we do from time to time, taking your questions about what you want to know about cybersecurity, how to protect yourself, your family, and your business. Uh, from various cybersecurity threats that are out there. Wanted to start out our show with uh, talking about uh, a successful conclusion of uh, one uh, cybersecurity investigation, not one that I was part of, but a very high-profile one we've talked on the show. Uh, one of the individuals behind the Yahoo email breach, the one that compromised 500 million email accounts, uh, he was a Kazakh-born Canadian citizen, waived extradition from uh, to the United States, States from Canada just pled guilty as part of an, uh, a plea agreement in federal court this week. His name is Karim Baratov. Um, and uh, there's allegations in there and a lot of cooperation in terms of uh, who he worked for and who he was doing uh, his activity for. Uh, you may recall that this was attributed and uh, said that Russian uh, intelligence, uh, the FSB, was behind this one. Well, it turns out as part of this investigation and now conviction, uh, two particular FSB officers, Dmitry uh, Dokuchev and Igor Suschen, uh, were his handlers. Uh, Reportedly, he didn't know he was working for the FSB, but to take money and direction from them in terms of what they went after. Uh, he was involved in the email breach, uh, but also uh, was involved in hacking about 80 other uh, email accounts uh, that he was assigned to, 50 of those in Gmail. Obviously, the Yahoo one uh, is the big breach uh, that everybody's talking about uh, and certainly uh, very egregious. So he's looking at uh, potential upwards of 87 months in jail uh, for that. But uh, the sentencing takes place in a different uh, different hearing. Uh, three uh, Russian hackers uh, have also uh, been indicted as part of that, but they're in Russia. Russia does not extradite people to the United States. States, so uh, you know they'll, in essence, escape justice uh, as long as they uh, don't leave Russia. Uh, so if they ever travel, come abroad, uh, you know, odds are we will pick them up uh, whenever they cross into a country that is uh, cooperative to U.S. legal process. So. That sounds uh, kind of hopeless, but it does happen from time to time. Uh, there's several Russian hackers this year uh, that have been arrested while traveling abroad. So. From time to time, we're still able to uh, otherwise get hands on this. But one of the largest breaches, I'm sure a lot of people paid a lot of attention to this when uh, news talked about it and certainly uh, achieved a new level of prominence uh, for the election-related hacking that we've attributed to the Russian government as well. So uh, it seems extreme. 
for, you know, 500 million accounts to be breached. Uh, in this case, uh, you know, the FSB's goal and, and target was obviously much more narrow. Uh, a lot of government officials either do business uh, on their private email accounts, almost always Gmail, Yahoo, and the various free ones. Uh, but certainly they do a lot of business, uh, personal business and other things that might give insight and information that's still useful uh, for an intelligence agency. So, uh, you know, these are uh, valid targets. There are valid uh, threats out there that uh, these providers face. This is part of espionage that goes on between uh, countries all the time, just with a lot of collateral damage, right? You know, 500 email accounts being breached is is basically setting off a nuclear weapon to kill a cockroach. It's a whole lot of collateral damage. And that's a lot of what we're seeing uh, with some of these new threats. Uh, we've seen it about three times this year with WannaCry, with uh, not uh, NotPetya and Bad Rabbit of these widespread attacks with lots of collateral damage that are very uh, debilitating, uh, that are nation-state-backed or assumed or otherwise attributed to, to nation-states. And I think we're going to look and see more of this in the future. So for the most part, uh, most of us, when when faced against those kind of adversaries, you know, I don't really have a lot of good advice for you. You know, if you think you're being spied on by the FSB, uh, either one, you're delusional or two, as an individual, you, you're just not going to have the resources to defend uh, to a great extent. But there are a lot of things that you can do. And I like pointing back to the John Podesta example, because when you hear things, 500 email accounts breached, you know, there's a level of sophistication there. But a lot of espionage, a lot of computer crime, a lot of this stuff goes back to the very simple social engineering things that attackers and criminals get you to do to compromise your own security, right? John Podesta's email breach, the Russian uh, intelligence, uh, either at their direction or, or were uh, under their employment, sent a fake Google password reset fish. Hey, you know, the suspicious activity on your Gmail account, reset your password, click this link. Uh, they click the link. You know, which popped up a web browser that they ran, and at which point, enter username and password. You've just given your username and password to to Russian intelligence, and we know what happened from there. So uh, often, uh, more often, a lot of these threats, even if they are espionage, involve social engineering. Uh, I mean, well done; it's it's well crafted, but ultimately, getting you to compromise your own security, which is why it's so important to to be aware uh, that. You are a target, right? Probably not FSB, uh, but but certainly of criminals for ransomware and some of the commodity threats out there. Uh, and almost always it requires you to do something to compromise yourself. For the most part, uh, there isn't a lot of reach out over the Internet kind of threats uh, that you see on shows like Mr. Robot and other uh, other shows of that sort. Uh, but certainly. Right. There are still threats of that sort out there. We're going to go talk about the, uh, the Mac OS X null password vulnerability here in the next segment with Greg Otto of our digital partner, cyberscoop.com. You know, but there is, uh, another exploit out there for, uh, Huawei, uh, a Chinese manufacturer of, among other things, Internet of Things device. There's a remote exploit out for that. So if this thing was plugged into the Internet, attackers can compromise your device. Always make sure your stuff's updated, even these uh, embedded devices out there uh, that you may have in your home. There should be some way to update them. Uh, check every now and then routinely to see if there are updates available because uh, once vulnerabilities are discovered, they start getting exploited in wide ranges uh, of events. So ultimately, I've said it before, I'll say it again. 
No one's going to protect you but yourself out there uh, online. You've got to take uh, some key steps uh, to do that. That's one, being aware of uh, what's out there, what's targeting you, be attentive to the threats, uh, and then updating your devices, uh, your iPhone, your apps, uh, and mobile applications. So always there. Stay vigilant. You are a target, but you can do things to protect yourself out there, uh, even if it's high-end threats. Uh Probably not high-end threats for most of you, right? You know, we certainly uh, these stories grab headlines, but you know, you can simply go into your spam folders and see some of the things that people do. Right? I get a lot of fake invoice spam saying, "Hey, you know, we've got an invoice," uh, or "Hey, here's a purchase order. We want to give you money." Uh, it's really about getting you to click on things, going to malicious websites, so that you can compromise yourself. So, right there, be 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 vigilant, be aware. Uh, go on to stopthinkconnect.org, get some more tips uh, out there, uh, and certainly uh, if you have vulnerable devices, pay attention, right? There's an important update for Mac OS X uh, for this password vulnerability we're going to be talking about here uh, in the next segment with Greg Otto, so stay tuned for that. A little bit later in the show, we're going to be talking about uh, a new exploit that uh, uh, a new breach that affected the National Security Agency, losing some more national security secrets. Uh, and we'll bring on the CEO of Malwarebytes to talk about some other threats and what you can do to protect yourself. So stay tuned. We've got a great show lined up for you. We're going to take a break, but we'll be right back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. Bambanek's back with the latest on cybersecurity. And welcome back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. Joining me now, Greg Otto, Cyberscoop.com. A great news site out there, our digital partner covering CybersecurityNews.com. Greg Otto is editor and now chief penetration tester, now that I taught him a little bit of hacking over this past week. Uh, thank you for joining us, Greg. Absolutely, John. Good to be here. So let's uh, let's talk about this transformation from journalist to uh, to hacker here. Uh, the Mac OS X bug uh, that a lot of people are talking about. Uh, uh, what is that, and why does it matter? So there was a bug discovered uh, in Apple's new version of their operating system that allowed people to bypass uh, administrative accounts when. They were trying to access various system preferences inside the computer, possibly network settings or privacy settings, where when you were prompted to enter an administrator's credentials, you could just enter the username root, leave the password blank, and after clicking, you know, give me access a couple times, it would let you into the computer mm-hmm. and you could change whatever you wanted. Uh, this was found by a Turkish software engineer who put it out there on Twitter and everybody sort of rushed to see if they could use it in their own high Sierra instances, including myself. And sure enough, uh, we found ways to be able to 
have root access to many of the laptops in our uh, newsrooms um, area, and we had some fun, you know, poking around and, and seeing what we could, what havoc we could cause. Yeah, no, I mean it's kind of a, a bizarre bug. I don't recall anything that I really can equate it to uh, previously. Uh, but in essence, right, you know, if you had physical access to a laptop somehow, right, and uh, just try to authenticate, type in root. Uh, and for those who might not be familiar, familiar for Linux, Unix machines, uh, of which Mac OS X is a variant of, uh, the root account um, is the actual administrator account. Uh, for historical reasons, it's called root, but it's the full privileged account. You can read any file. You can start any process. You've got full control of the machine. So you walk up there, you type root, hit enter a couple of times. Now you actually have an account you can authenticate to with full privileges to a machine. So in a corporate environment, right, you know, you could you could walk up to your boss, create that account and then start changing your performance review or, or you know, things of that sort. Right? All sorts of uh, fun nefariousness. Uh, and it was interesting that it was disclosed over Twitter. Uh, because Apple has a bug bounty program, this is probably the kind of thing that uh, this this software engineer uh, could have reported privately to Apple and uh, gotten a little bit of a payday for. Right, and that was what was surprising about it. Not just the fact that you know that there's bug bounties out there, but just you know, in terms of responsible responsible disclosure. I mean, surely after this bug went public, there were some people you know talking on social media about. You know whether that was really the responsible way to do it, and given how easy it was, I, I can see their arguments that this is so damaging that it probably would have been better just to go to Apple and say, uh, "Yeah, you have this really, really bad bug that's really, really easy, easily exploitable." Mm -hmm. So uh, let's kind of figure this out privately instead of putting it out there on Twitter and letting the masses experiment with it. Right, no, and that was that was the kind of thing, and I, I know we talked about it. Uh, you, you had pinged me uh, when it was disclosed out there. You know, what could somebody do with it? And I created a, you know, kind of just a working exploit in my lab here where I could send just a crafted message where if somebody clicks on something, you know, opens a script, it would generate that account, turn on something that would listen to the machine so we can uh, remotely access it uh, over a, a program called VNC so you could actually, across the internet, uh, view a desktop and start running commands. It'd be like you're actually on the machine and you would have full privileges from anywhere in the world. Right, and that's when things got really interesting, when uh, you helped us discover that this was remote, remotely exploitable through VNC, and that's when social media and the InfoSec community online kind of really started having fun with it. Because as you pointed out, if you go to the uh, internet search engine Shodan, mm -hmm. which allows you to search internet-connected machines, you know you could find all these machines that were running the protocols necessary for someone to exploit this bug. So it really, it went from zero to 100 real quick in the fact that it, everything was calm and then the bug dropped and then everybody decided to sort of poke and prod at, you know, different ways this could be exploited. I've never seen anything like it. No, it's I, I can't recall the last time somebody dumped an exploit like this publicly. I mean, 
we have responsibility disclosure now, but I've been doing this for two decades uh, and, and kind of briefly, right? It's a high flute name, but basically the idea is that security researchers like myself or this person in Turkey should first report the bug to the vendor themselves so they can fix it. Because when they report it publicly, then everybody can start trying to exploit it, right? And this one is fairly simple, right? Uh, I was able to walk you through. How, in fact, you had tested it before I had. Uh, it requires no real tool or sophistication, right? You just type in a username, you hit enter a couple of times, and then an account is created. Um, so, it, like I said, potentially very damaging, very low skill level required. So criminals uh, could have started exploiting this fairly quickly. Uh, we don't know to what extent they have, because I'm not entirely sure we have good tools to figure it out uh, if they had, uh, you know, um, but Apple, to their credit, right, they, they responded on Twitter. Uh, they got the update out within, I think it was within 24 hours. It was pretty quick, um, you know, uh, of releasing an update and a fix. So uh, there wasn't a big window out there. Uh, but, yeah, when things get kind of dumped uh, publicly like this, then everybody starts rushing. You know, And the first question is, OK, well, how bad is this really? What can you do with it? Right. And, uh, you know, certainly walking up to a computer and typing in username, username and hitting enter. That's bad. But, you know, I said I was able to create a fairly trivial uh, weaponized version of this uh, to start using in phishing and email campaigns. And I don't think uh, based on what we've seen up till today, anybody, uh, any criminal entities doing that at scale, at least. Um, but that's kind of how these things play out, you know, when it's done publicly. And I haven't seen anything like that for over a decade because we've had responsible disclosure and more importantly, bug bounty programs he could have gotten. I don't know what Apple's bug bounty is, 50000 25 I don't know what he would have gotten for this. I'm sure it would have been something. Uh, so he missed out on a payday, but it also generated a whole lot of work for a lot of us to figure out how bad it is and what people could do to protect themselves until Apple uh, developed a patch. Right, and it kind of speaks to Apple's development process here because I know there have been some other bad bugs mm -hmm. with this latest operating system that they pushed out. I talked to a researcher who discovered something similar with Apple's um, file encryption uh, mm -hmm. service it, where the bug was basically that if you tried to encrypt volumes of files, you could type in a password hint, but the password hint ended up being overwritten. And when you actually went to go retrieve a password hint, it would just show the actual password to the encrypted file. <laughs> so there have been some, some password problems yeah. with uh, Mac OS High Sierra, and there have been a lot of people saying just overall they're going to wait to get, you know, the next version of mm -hmm. OS that High Sierra is just too buggy, there's too many problems, and it's just not worth the trouble if there's going to be bad bugs like this. All right, you've been listening to Greg Otto, Cyberscoop.com, our digital partner. We're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanak. Scan your computer. But don't scan the dial. Stay right here. John Bambadick will be right back. You're listening to John Bambadick, the most trusted name in cybersecurity.
And welcome back. You've tuned into Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanak. Joining me now is Mar- uh, Marcin Kliczynski from Malwarebytes. He's the CEO. Uh, it's an antivirus company that's uh, uh, a new one, but does a lot of very interesting things. So wanted to bring him on, talk about some threats he's seeing, uh, and maybe some uh, tips uh, for the listeners who uh, want to protect themselves. So thank you for joining us, Marcin. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. All right, let's kind of dive right into it. Right? You're, a, you're an anti-malware company focusing on uh, the various threats that uh, people see out there. Uh, you know, what do you think, uh, you know, what, what has taken you by surprise as the biggest threat uh, we've seen this year, and what do you think next year uh, holds in terms of, uh, of new ways criminals will try to uh, attack consumers and separate us from our money? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, we're in an industry where we actually sell to both consumers and businesses. So we, we, we have a lot of home users uh, that, that get infected. We have a lot of businesses that we, we help keep protected. Uh, and, and one of the things that's really surprised me this year is just the prevalence of ransomware uh, in the industry. So mm-hmm. if you look two, three years ago, ransomware was really a, a consumer-only problem. Um, and how quickly that's evolved into the workplace we saw the WannaCry attack in May. We saw NotPetya in, in June and now Bad Rabbit uh, just a couple of weeks ago. It, it's really become prevalent and it's really uh, a lot more sophisticated than something we saw two years ago. So ransomware really top of mind. I don't know how long that can keep going. I, I don't think next year is the year of, the, of ransomware. Uh, I think we'll see a lot of um, IoT device security issues where you know websites get taken down because all of these internet connected devices are, are used against these websites. So I, I really think that's, the ransomware of the future holding a website hostage and not necessarily a computer that you know a, a consumer or a business owns no i think i think that's that's true right you know i i, I don't know if we've quite re- reached peak ransomware right there's good money in it but now there's so much noise into it I, there's a report i saw i forget exactly who did it right uh two three years ago if you paid the ransom you had a very high chance of getting your files back or at least most of them back and now it's less than half the time you get anything back. So, uh, and, you know, it's a genre of attack that relies on people having confidence that they're going to get things back. And that's exactly. So. Uh, but exactly. I think, yeah, WannaCry and some of these other things you're talking about of, uh, of ransomware sabotage or organize, organization crippling stuff where you can get uh, big paydays. Uh, you know, we've seen that and, you know, want to cry, not petches. As you know, there's a lot of, uh, not a lot of consensus, but some strong opinions that those are nation state backed, uh, attacks also. Yeah, we, we seem to have gone from this consumer grade to, as you said, nation, nation state grade. And, uh, back when it was consumer grade, they even had customer support lines to ensure you had a good experience as you were getting extorted, right? Because you're absolutely right. The reputation was on, online. And if they knew that, if consumers knew they wouldn't get their files back, they weren't inclined to pay. Um, now we're looking at more w- weaponization of that ransomware against nation states. Pretty scary stuff. No, no, yeah, definitely. So I think that's that's certainly uh, you know some things that we're going to see. Uh, you know what else is out there? We're going into the Christmas season, right? If they, I've seen a lot of rise in uh, uh, Christmas shopping related scams and and malware uh, yet, uh, or uh, is there more to come there? You know, what, what, one thing I don't think we, we talked about with regards to ransomware is just the use of Bitcoin and how mm-hmm. Bitcoin as a, as a currency itself has enabled these kinds of advanced attacks. 
Uh, and now we're seeing Bitcoin and, and some of the peak purchasing of Bitcoin happened right after Thanksgiving. And, and that's because, you know, people like you and I, we talked to our families about what Bitcoin was. And of course, after Thanksgiving, they went home and just bought some Bitcoin and the price went up. Mm-hmm. But it's a currency that's enabled a lot of these cyber attacks. And I think allowed this anonymous paying and of, of these of these ransom attacks. So so when you said, you know, we don't you don't think ransomware is going away necessarily because it's still lucrative for these criminals. I think we're going to see one more major attack through the through the holidays here, um, similar to what we've seen this year, because mm-hmm. Bitcoin continues to be just such a lucrative avenue to to you know fund these criminal organizations. So I, I do I do foresee holiday relevant uh, attacks that rely heavily on Bitcoin, just given its its prevalence lately. Well, and certainly, right, if, if you were going to do kind of an organizational crippling attack going after retail in the holiday season, right, would be a good target, right? You know, you'd, you'd get real money from, from those kind of attacks. But uh, you, yeah, you make yeah. reference to, to one specific item of research I'm doing, and I don't know where it is, but I believe the price of Bitcoin, well, you go back, what, five years, you know, it was thirty to to $100, right? And uh, one of the first major successful uh, ransomware campaigns, CryptoLocker, I, I uh, was part of the investigation into that. There's a big jump in uh, malware, uh, uh, the price of Bitcoin from uh, like 100 to $300 that really affected people buying it, you know, but I believe a lot of the value of Bitcoin is, is both from ransomware, because now normal people are having to figure out what this Bitcoin is and buy it to pay ransoms. Uh, and for cyber insurance companies who, if a hospital has to pay a million dollar ransom, you know, they need their insurance company to do that. So they're sitting on stockpiles of millions of dollars with a Bitcoin and it's artificially inflating the price. Uh, it was over 10,000 this week. I don't know if it still is right this moment, but, uh, I think a lot of that actually has to do with ransomware. Uh, so I think that's certainly, I don't know, I find it interesting of uh, these second order effects that uh, cybersecurity and hacking have uh, just in otherwise unforeseen ways, because uh, you know, kind of doing the investigation and intelligence work, right? The, the people behind the ransomware were taken aback by that and caused some real complications for them uh, that they yeah. had to engineer around in terms of making sure that uh, their ransoms in U.S. dollars were still reasonable despite the rapid increase in uh, uh, the value of Bitcoin. Yeah, fascinating, isn't it? And, and you know, I've heard from a lot of chief information security officers at, a lot, at, at big companies worldwide that they've got, like you said, a stockpile of Bitcoin ready to deploy. Uh, to me, that's the equivalent of having a briefcase of money hmm? <laughs> ready to deploy when one of your executives gets kidnapped. But <laughs> but it's a very likely chance it happens, right? No, right. So and you that's kind of the world we're living in. Yeah, yeah, and you can't get a lot of Bitcoin quickly. Yeah, you need to pay a three hundred, five hundred dollar ransom in Bitcoin. Yeah, you, you you sign up for an account in Coinbase. You go through some steps. You can do that within an hour, right? You need to pay a million dollars. Well, that's a little bit harder, right? So uh, you know, if I, I, I've a lot of the Bitcoin advocates out there who are, you know, all sorts of, oh, this is the next big thing. I've posited as soon as ransomware authors switch to Ethereum or another type of cryptocurrency, you're going to see the price of Bitcoin just go straight through the floor and you're going to lose everything. Yeah, that's speculation, right? And mm-hmm. that being said, I think a lot of these criminals are negotiators and they're willing to mm-hmm. um you know, make sure that they get their their pay. Mm-hmm. And if you remember Hollywood Presbyterian earlier this year or late last year, they you know the, the criminals wanted several million dollars and and ended up settling for ten thousand because it's still a payday. So I yeah. you know I, I I think you know there's some leverage for companies to say you know I can't get a billion or a million Bitcoin right now or it's just unreasonable and they'll settle for one or two. 
No, no, and I, I, I think that happens on the consumer side. Or if somebody had posted an exchange, or somebody in like Malaysia, it's you know they got ransomware, and here's your demand: five hundred dollars U.S. It's like that's my yearly salary. I cannot pay five hundred dollars, <laughs> and they and they they resolved it for like a dollar or two, right? And I was just kind of amusing of seeing this organized crime, quasi altruism whatever going on um you know i think there's some interesting sociological phenomenon around that 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 uh, uh that happens right and that's part of the reason our, uh, our industry is so uh interesting right because yeah, you know uh we see a lot of these interesting things and the story behind the story uh, going on and it's it's just never really a dull moment yeah and you can compare it to the old mafia with regards to mm-hmm extortion and and trading of illegal drugs weapons and so on i mean today that's all back as the new mafia but enabled by bitcoin and you know anonymity on the internet so it's just fascinating to draw the comparisons and and it'll be interesting to see what happens you know next year with regards to to bitcoin and its enablement of crime want to take a quick break right here uh we'll be back after this break uh still with marcin klachinski from malwarebytes uh talking more about uh mobile devices some threats people face things that they need to keep in mind so stay tuned for more you're listening to Cybersecurity today radio with your host john bambanak Scan your computer, but don't scan the dial. Stay right here. John Bambanek will be right back. This is Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. And welcome back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. So I wanted to talk a little bit about mobile malware. Uh, I know it's a topic of interest to a lot of people. You hear a lot of stories out there in terms of uh, you know, cell phones uh, getting tracked. There's a couple of investigations I'm involved in. Uh, one uh, involving uh, a murder uh, that a component of which involved mobile malware. Uh, what do people need to know uh, and what should they be aware of in terms of security of their cell phones that have uh, pretty much the entirety of their life, you know, the location, who they're talking to, text messages, uh, and and perhaps less than closed pictures of themselves or their loved ones. Uh, <laughs> what do people have to, uh, should be expect? What can they do to protect themselves? Well, I think mobile has been undervalued in with regards to security. So, you know, we, we've spent 20 years getting online with, you know, windows and, and Apple uh, PCs and then laptops. And then all of a sudden this mobile device came around and within half that time, if not less, you know, a, a good portion of the world has a mobile device. You look at some, you know, um, nations that are living in poverty, right? They've got Android devices as, as their main source of compute uh, and, and networking and so on. Um, so, and they've, meaning they've skipped laptops and desktops completely. And yet there's really not a, a, a secure ecosystem for Android, Apple, and so on uh, devices. You know, if you look at um, Wind or iOS and uh, Android, they're, they say they're inherently secure because there's this app store that is moderated and, and code doesn't really, you know, the, 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 the operating system is actually sandboxed. 
but but we've seen time and time again, uh, both you and I and, and other security experts in the industry that, you know, these sandboxes can be hopped out of these uh, the apps can be submitted even to the official app stores with malware in them. Uh, and there's really not a lot of security, a lot of flexibility um, for third party vendors to come in and help with regards to that. So I actually think a storm is brewing and we'll see more and more malware attacks for Android, iOS devices here in the, in the near future. And, and, and that scares me because, as you said, we live off of these devices and a lot of the stuff in our lives is probably more likely to be on these devices than mm-hmm. our Windows desktop or our Apple uh, laptop. No, I said I, I kind of recall a couple of, uh, you know, aspects regarding this, right? You know, is that, you know, if you want to sit there and buy something online, odds are you're using your laptop for it, right? Most of our financial transactions uh, are on computers. I mean, there is Apple Pay. There's a couple of things out there. I don't think there's wide adoption yet, you know. But if you want to uh, kill somebody, stalk somebody, do do bad things to them personally, you want your phone, right? So, I mean, credit card fraud is a thing, right? And I'm not, I'm not downplaying it, but you know, if I'm more concerned that uh, somebody's stalking my daughter uh, than I am about somebody uh, using my credit card because I could just call somebody and the charges go away uh, versus physical threats, right? So, and and we've seen uh, instances uh, of that going on, but as we adopt more uh, more adoption of mobile stuff, uh, we're going to see problems, and certainly. Uh, you can have incidences like uh, we saw in Estonia a little over 10 years ago uh, when as part of a geopolitical conflict they had with the Russian Federation, uh, you know, there was a, a, attacks to their digital infrastructure knocking things offline and they used their phones for everything. You know, it was 10 years ago, if you wanted to park in the street in Estonia, you used your phone to do it. Uh, and with that infrastructure offline, you know, people didn't know how to feed meters and do basic things. So uh, as we become more reliant on technology, some of these risks uh, become uh, heightened a whole lot more. Yeah, and, and there's not many third-party vendors willing or able to secure these mobile devices. So if mm-hmm. you look at you know Windows in particular, you have 40 to 50 antiviruses you can choose from and you can do efficacy testing and the antivirus, you know, can hook the operating system and actually filter out the stuff that's bad. When you look at an iOS device, none of that functionality is exposed to third party vendors. And so you don't really see any antivirus companies securing Mm -hmm. your, your, your Apple device. And what does that mean? Well, now we're relying completely on Apple to secure that device. And we've seen some (laughs) fun news in the, in the, in the recent months around Apple and, and security, mm-hmm. right? And it's just relying on one vendor, all your eggs in one basket, and that, that scares me. No, no, definitely, right? So, uh, you know, besides getting one of the few tools, and uh, Malwarebytes is one of the few things you can get for your iPhone or your Android device to protect you, uh, you know, what else should be people wary of to keep malware uh, and uh, these kind of security attacks off of their mobile devices? Well, number one priority, and I think you would agree with me, is just maintaining uh, the latest versions of all the firmware, all the software, all the applications, because the, the easiest way in is through a vulnerability that might exist in one of these uh, patches that, that might that might have been fixed already. So mm-hmm. always having the latest version of the operating system, um, if not the latest because you're uncap- incapable, maybe the one right, right before that. But having Windows XP today, for example, would be... You know, one of the most mm-hmm. you'd be playing with your life on on the internet effectively. Yeah. So, National Health Service in UK did that in, in March, and it literally was well, playing with lives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it was literally playing with lives. Um, 
And I think we're, we're years away from a headline that says, you know, X amount of people have died because of a, of a cybersecurity attack. If, we're, if, if it hasn't already happened, um, you know, it will publicly. So bar none, if you can do one thing, that would be to maintain the latest patches, latest updates um, of, of your you know, operating system of all of your applications. Beyond that, I think it's just, you know, using a little bit of common sense, using a password manager, not using the same password on every site you, you are, um, not clicking on random links and emails, using a little bit of common sense. And, you know, we role play at our, at our company because we are a security company. And sometimes we fish our own employees. We send them emails that were uh, that are meant to, to capture them and, and their, their username and password and completely illegitimate, so, such as mm-hmm. a fake Dropbox or payroll email that they might receive or a 401k email. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seeing some examples online will really put it into perspective on, and I realize not everybody's a security expert or has the time to do this, but just being aware that there are people out to get you and they're going to send you emails and those emails are going to ask you to put in your email and, and password and they will use that email password against you and, and try to hack you in other ways. So if you ever get an email from Google or Dropbox or the IRS, just go to the website and, mm-hmm. and directly. Don't click on the link in the email uh, and use common sense like that. I think will take you a long way. No, and I think that's that's a lot of great information. Uh, Going to have to wrap it up, but uh, you've been uh, listening to uh, the CEO of Malwarebytes, uh, Marcin Kluczynski. Uh Got some great software out there, Malwarebytes.com, B-Y-T-E-S. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Marcin. Thanks, Sean. Again, that was Marcin Kluczynski from Malwarebytes.com, uh, great antivirus software out there for uh, your, your computers and your mobile devices. Go ahead and check them out at Malwarebytes.com. So a lot of great information there, but yeah, do check out Malwarebytes.com to see more of uh, their research uh, and their product line out there. I uh, wanted to cover a quick story here in our closing minutes of a new uh, breach out there affecting the National uh, Security Agency again. Uh, in essence, the uh, NSA, or uh, more uh, more appropriately, uh, an Army Intelligence and Security Command uh, service, uh, part of uh, the NSA pantheon of stuff, uh, uploaded some information to Amazon Cloud of, of a highly classified nature uh, of a project that they codenamed Red Disk, uh, which uh, was defunct, uh, but it was to improve... Um, a platform uh, called distributed uh, distributed common ground system, uh, but basically it's a customized cloud system for soldiers to access, organize, share reports uh, and activities. Right, the kind of thing that you would expect uh, the military to be developed uh, to uh, to share battlefield information. Right, they created uh, this system, but it relied on uh, open and insecure uh, cloud services in Amazon. Uh, in essence, when you store data in an Amazon cloud, there's an access key. Uh, but, you know, by default, these these things are open to the world. A researcher that we've talked about before, uh, Chris Vickery of UpGuard, has been just searching for uh, storage buckets in Amazon that he can access, right? There's no there's no protection whatsoever, right? No username, no password, no, no security key that he's just able to walk in and access data. Uh, he's found a lot of stuff, uh, millions of voter records. All sorts of interesting things. In this case, he found highly classified uh, military materials uh, about this program. So uh, it represents another embarrassment for uh, the NSA. Um, and the Pentagon spent $90 million on the system that uh, that ultimately went away. But... 
that does bring us to the end of our show. I uh, hope you got a lot of great information out there talking uh, with Greg Otto, Cyberscoop.com, our digital partner from Malwarebytes, covering some of these uh, new security threats out there that you're seeing with your with your MacBooks, uh, some other news out there. Uh, again, a special thanks to our radio affiliates, AM820 News, covering Tampa Bay and the West Coast, as well as AM1060 News, covering the Space Coast and Orlando. Go ahead, check us out in between shows, CybersecurityTodayRadio.com or Facebook and Twitter at CybersecRadio. Or to catch the podcast of the show, uh, just look for Cybersecurity Today Radio in your favorite podcast software. Hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend and stay tuned next Saturday for Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanak. Mm-hmm.